Remember, you can get in touch with our fearsome foursome by emailing clubdubpodcast at mail.com and through Twitter using the hashtag at clubdubpodcast. Welcome to the Club Dub Football Podcast, where the only question is, does your team make it into the club? Can he get in? No, he cannot! Hi, I'm Rob Rose, and welcome to another episode of the Club Dub Football Podcast. This week, I'll be joined by JBPB and Aldrin as we look at the franchises still looking to find those key pieces to add to their roster to make a real run for the Lombardi Trophy in 2021. We'll be looking at the free agents that could be key and which puzzle pieces could help these teams jigsaw to a successful season in the year ahead. So, with so much to talk about, let's get on with the show. Jesus, it almost fell down. I got too hype, man. I almost went down. Oh, yeah. Right right out right there. Yeah. Was it noticeable? Yes. So hi, gents. Hi, Rob. It's very, very swift, PB. I like that. So um, some more free agency chat, although as the weeks count down, there's probably a point where we're going to shift this over to the draft. But the pieces that our key teams need to be competitive in 2021 will be the topic for this show after, of course. We kick things off as we always do with Phil's Quiz of the Week. So, PB, what have you got for us? Welcome to Phil's Quiz of the Week. Thanks, Rob. Good one this week. Multi-choice. So, who holds the best rookie passer rating in NFL history? Is it A, Dan Marino, B, Dak Prescott, C, Robert Griffin III, or D, Tom Brady? B. Yeah, I'd say Dak. Oh, so Dak, but Dak came in for Romo during the season, didn't he? No, Romo got injured no, in the first or second preseason game okay. and started from there. The the thing I had, I was waiting for the, I was waiting for Justin Herbert to be one of the multiple choice as yeah. like, okay. Brady wasn't, Brady came in later no. though, didn't he? For yeah. Oh, see, it's Robert Griffin the third has got, RG3 was Rookie Not of the passing, year, wasn't he had an amazing season? You, you think of That's him more moving great. with his legs, don't you? Like a yeah. like a prototype for like Lamar. I think it was Dak. So you're going Dak, JB. You're going Dak. I've yeah. gone Dak. Yeah. Dan Marino made a Super Bowl in his second. I'm going to go Dan Marino. Two of you are right. Dak Prescott. Dak Prescott finished his rookie season with a passer rating of 104.9, breaking the previous record of 102.4 set by. Dan Marino. Dan Marino. Robert Griffin the third. So you oh, went Rob. So no Dan Marino. Not been an ace ventura though, has he, Dak? <laughs> <laughs> that that kind of says a lot to I think how you forget how good RG3's first season was. Yeah, I mean he was a phenomenon, wasn't he? That first year was ridiculous. They just he just ended up being hammered into the ground so many times though, didn't he? Yeah. I mean you you talk about the Lamar kind of prototype, but he was just hit so often and those knees were never, never going to be able to keep up. Well, you think as well. So that draft class was Andrew Luck was taken first that year, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. RG three second. And and actually famously, that was the reason they took Luck, wasn't it? The Colts were concerned that RG three just wasn't durable enough. And 
I mean, I guess neither of them were in the end, but yeah, that turned out. Yeah, yeah, Andrew Luck they, was probably the better pick. Well, yeah, the yeah. Colts saw what the uh, the the Washington team did and thought, ah, oh, we'll do the same. We'll just do it longer. Yeah, an experiment um, that neither would want to repeat. Thanks for listening. That was few squeeze of the week. But n- nice that you brought us all the way around to draft chat. So uh, stay tuned, everybody, for upcoming weeks where we'll look at draft prospects for all of your favorite NFL teams. But with our quiz, um, I don't want to say out the way, Phil. You know, it, it, it was it flashed. It was brief, but wonderful. So now we're left with our topic of what puzzle pieces need to be filled for your teams to be relevant Super Bowl contenders in 2021. And we're going to start, JB, with your little review of all things the Steelers of Pittsburgh. So it, this was kind of my suggested topic of the week. And then when I sat down to look at where the piece was, like, well, could be cornerback now with kind of Stephen Nelson being released. It could be running back because James Connor's not been re-signed. We haven't really made any moves for anybody else. And overall, though, I think I'm going to have to kind of try and combine a lot of points and say, I think it's the offensive line. The... Steelers starting five for the week one game against the Giants was Zach Banner, Morkis Pouncey, Stefan Wisniewski, Alejandro Villanueva, and Matt Feeler. Only two of those five are currently under contract. And of those two, only one of them actually managed to make it to the end of the game. Uh, David DeCastro has been an absolute rock for the, for the line for years now. Zach Banner's coming back off what I think was a torn ACL in that very, very first game. And I would expect him to slot back in at right tackle where they were going to have him before. Um, Kevin Dodson. Dodson! Dodson! We've got Dodson here! The rookie that Steelers picked up in the draft last year has been phenomenal. Um, I think made a lot of all-rookie teams after the season was over, but centre with Pouncey retiring and uh, left tackle with Villanueva not back currently are kind of the two biggest problems and potentially kind of the two biggest roles that you need to fill on the line. You need to have someone in there protecting the quarterback's blind side and you need someone to snap him the ball. Now, the Steelers have brought back BJ Finney, I think, from the Bengals or it was either, he either went Seahawks, Bengals, or he went Bengals, Seahawks. But they've brought him back, and I think are slotting him potentially as starting centre, which is fine. He's served that role before when Pouncey's been out injured. But the left tackle situation needs to be solved because you haven't got very long to bed a guy in. You know, Ben Roethlisberger, for as long as his career has gone in comparison to some of the others drafted around him, he's not going to go on forever. And as he increasingly becomes more and more broken kind of like RG3 and Andrew Luck, as we've talked about, the need to get someone who can perform immediately and hold that line so the Steelers can get a run game going and start to actually compete throughout the season is imperative. So my question to you would be, I mean, of all the places you want to fill, the line isn't an ideal setting, is it? I mean, those guys have, have already pretty much been grabbed from the free agency market, although I am about to propose a, an over-under on uh, Fisher and Schwartz being Steelers next season. Wait for that. But does this not feel, JB? I mean, I appreciate you saying, you know, with a couple of pieces on the offensive line, the Steelers could be relevant. I, I think you're right. I think James Connor, if you're replacing him at running back, I, I feel like you could pick somebody up, you know, who can run well enough and catch well enough to, to fill that void. 
But does this not just feel like the last year before a really big reboot? Does does it not just feel like Ben's come back without much fanfare, actually without the franchise saying much positive about him at all? Does it not just feel like they're going to ride out this season and then maybe look at 2022 as, as the time they put all the pieces back together? The only reason I said that is, you know, we've obviously got the draft we're going to talk about in the coming weeks, but to try and get starting linemen in the draft, you know, rookie season starting linemen, I think also feels like a bit of a big stretch. Do you do you really think the Steelers will find a way to sort it? Do I hope they will? Yes, absolutely, of course. Do I think they will? It's 50-50. We, we've talked off air and on recently about how successful teams actually are in the draft and what the actual percentage of finding even two or three players in a single draft class that you keep and become cornerstone players in your franchise and how slim those kind of of hopes are. Yes, I think this is very much like a we're going to ride, we're going to let Ben have potentially one last go. This, This could be Roethlisberger's last season and then, yeah, once the salary cap goes back up next season and some of that um, television deal cash money starts coming in, then maybe the Steelers will look to splash the cash a little bit, try and bring in some other players. I think one of the interesting things from a Steelers fan point of view is the Steelers record with free agency in sort of the last five, six years. It's not good. I can't really think of many free agents the Steelers have, A, brought in anyway, and B, that have been in incredible, like, game-changing piece. Mentioned Stephen Nelson being released and the problems that causes the cornerback. I think he's potentially one of only a few that actually came in and contributed. Joe Hayden kind of on the other side being absolutely the same. Thankfully, we've still kept him. Um, this does feel a lot like... Uh, a franchise that are going to have problems if they don't start building for the future because there's not many pieces left I think that are going to go for that long but it'll be interesting to see where it goes left tackles really really tough as a market I think at the minute that, that obviously Villanueva's um, left hasn't he and in truth obviously I'm going to touch on the Colts but we've just signed a left tackle from the Chargers almost as a, an insurance gap if we can't find somebody in the draft and I think you know I don't know if there's many better left tackles than Villanueva knocking about you know like Rob said it's not really a position you want to have to be searching for and you know going into the season with so many question marks about the line is always tough you know we touched on it last week about that chemistry and that being so important to building an offense um, and the guys in the line being crucial to that so you know, so much disruption is never good, is it, really? I think you're spot on with, with what you think they need. You know, the line is the biggest part where, or their biggest hole at the moment. I think, you know, with the Pouncey brothers retiring, you know, it's, it's, that's left a massive void for them to try and fill. I, I think they, can you see that? I think there's there's a high or a big tackle pool in the draft. big pool of tackles. Yeah, you think they'd, they'd need to tackle to to 
draft someone you know for the for the offensive line for the tackle position but then you kind of feel that they are in all in this year for big bends last year you know it's either like rob said it's either now or they're going to have to you know blow it up for a bit of a rebuild you know they've got a young i don't know though do you really feel like they're all in for bends last year it feels like they've kind of let pieces go that have been the mainstay of you know villanueva has been around and the steelers nothing if not loyal huh Roethlisberger around because right. they, they can't get shot of his cap mon- number if yeah. if he wasn't on the roster they're on a big hit so they needed to restructure his contract and keep him around I think but yeah. like, I don't know like you say there is a there's a decent crop of tackles that are kind of knocking about but they're all risks you know we talked about Fisher you know he could come in potentially but he's you know he's just coming off the back of an injury and mm. I don't know the ones the tackles that are left are left for a reason you know the good ones have been picked really is what I feel so it's funny though you never know how people are going to adapt to changes do you? you know if you look at if I take the Buccaneers as an example because obviously they you know they're what I know most about Donovan Smith at left tackle you know was probably our most maligned player and you know, been poor, and we were thinking, well, this will be his last year, and we'll, we can get shot of him at the end of the season for, for you know, no cap hit. And actually, he's just signed another two, a two-year extension with something like thirty million guaranteed money, because he played so well last year. You know, having Brady come in and and that settled line, you know, he looked absolutely stellar. So who's to say that there isn't, you know, the backup tackle at the Steelers or somebody else that they pick up through through free agency that actually hasn't really you know, knocked it out of the park at wherever he's been. But if he just lands in the right spot at the Steelers, that it, it, it works out really well. And then again, if you look at the draft, you know, last year there was a good a good crop of tackles in the draft and we picked up Tristan Wirfs and he, he was probably, I would say he was arguably the best one out of the lot. But the, the guy that the Jets picked up and, and the, uh, a couple of the others as well, you know, it was a strong pool. And I think that's a position that is, is going to be quite strong in this draft as well. I agree with you there, and it's not to say that I think the the Steelers line on the whole was bad, was particularly bad. I think it wasn't as good as it has been historically, but it wasn't terrible in comparison to others. And because of kind of the rotation of injuries that happened, I said I already mentioned Kevin Dodson. Dodson, Dodson, we've got Dodson here. Was a great find in the draft who really settled in to a starting position when he needed to. Uh, Chucks. Okorafor, and I'm really sorry to everybody if I've pronounced that wrong. It's uh, it's a little beyond me, but he kind of stepped in at right tackle once Banner was injured. So there could be the argument said, okay, well, if you want Banner to slide across to the left, let's say, and we'll leave leave Chucks on the right, or put Chucks at left and leave Banner on the right, there are things that can be done. I think it's also important that the Steelers have made a change at offensive coordinator which is obviously also going to impact how the line plays. I don't think how the run game that the Steelers were running last year fit the pieces that they had. So hopefully this year, maybe with a bit more of those like run sweep things that we saw early on in the season might kind of give everyone a bit more space to get out in front of everything. See, I I just think if you needed one, I could see a route to that, like you say, through through the draft or... You know, being out, I, I just think there's too many. And when you start talking about, well, we'll move that guy and this guy can come in on rotation and, you know, this guy's already filled in capably and so on. I, I just think, I don't know, I think in 12 months, you'll have an organisation looking for scapegoats. You'll have the back of, you know, Big Ben and you'll be, you'll be waving him goodbye. 
oh, I don't know. I, th- I think it's going to take a, a an awful lot of pulling rabbits out of hats for the for the Steelers to address that. And I think bizarrely, the only other thing that makes me think it, it's got reboot written all over it is you've kind of got a few of the teams on the up in that division. You know, for the last twenty years, who'd have cared if you had problems in the offensive line when twice a season you're playing the Browns and and so on and so forth. I don't know. I mean, maybe a reboot is due and it's not the end of the world. But um, but I do want to propose a, a quick little wager. So under over, Fisher or Schwartz, a Steeler, week one, 2021. What do you uh, reckon, PB? I, I can I can believe that. They'll both still be injured, won't they? Fish is more likely to come back. I think Schwartz is more of a question mark as to whether he might just retire with that kind of back neck injury. But Fisher feels like he could be back. There you go. Heard it here first. JB, would you be happy with Fisher at, well, I'm guessing we're, we're kind of putting both left of them tackle. in the mix for left tackle, aren't we? Yeah. We're not seeing anyone else move across. How would you feel? Um, I would be incredibly happy to take left defensive tackle, Eric Fisher uh, the Steelers. I think he was a big part of that line that helped Mahomes when they won the Super Bowl two years ago. I do think him being a loss for the Super Bowl after playing so well in the championship game contributed to the Chiefs' poor play in the Super Bowl that kind of let uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers win, um, which I don't think we mention a lot on this podcast. Um, Not really. But yeah, I'd, I mean, I'd absolutely take him. Well, there you go. We, we've already done our crystal ball show, haven't we? But maybe that maybe that's a late addition. So the Pittsburgh Steelers only need three linemen, a running back, and probably some cover at cornerback to be relevant next season. It, it, it all feels like it's falling into place. So next we're going to go to Phil, where Phil pretends the Tampa Bay Buccaneers need to fill spaces on their roster. I mean, <laughs> all the Tampa Bay Buccaneers need to do is freeze time right now, don't they? But I'm curious to know what roster holes need to be filled on the all-guns-blazing superstar roster that is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I, I think you're pretty much right. You know, when we said we were looking at our own teams, it's just a struggle really to think where, you know, where, where we need to, to, to kind of fill a hole. And even, <laughs> stop it. If you look at the draft this year, I think it's, it's certainly the first time in my memory and the first time in a long time that I can think of, you know, not just my team, but any team really drafting for depth and for the future rather than drafting for a need. You know, I can't think of of a, a player that we need to draft that needs to step in on day one. So, you know, if I look at the, the biggest need as it stands today, you know, it would have been defensive, defensive tackle, or defensive end, you know, D-line, but we re-signed and Damakin Sue. So that's that's kind of ticked that box. The only, you know, the only two kind of high profile free agents that we haven't signed yet are Antonio Brown and, and Leonard Fournette. And you think, well, we've got our top two receivers in Evans and Godwin and, and we've got, a, you know, a, a young receiving core with Scotty Miller and Tyler Johnson. So Antonio Brown would be a nice to have and I'd love him to come back. But if we don't get him, you know, it's not the end of the world. And then Leonard Fournette as well. And I think that's probably our, our biggest hole at the moment. Um I think there was a lot of talk about James White signing for the Bucks in free agency, and he's obviously gone back to the Patriots. So it's the pass catching back that we need, really. I think Ronald Jones is, it will be the lead back, as he was for most of the, the regular season last year until he got hurt. 
Um, but it was the one-two punch with him of Fournette that worked really well in the playoffs. So I do think we do need another running back. They're talking about Fournette working on it with the Bucks, and I'm surprised he's not signed anywhere else, really, depending on what, what money he wants. But I'd say that's our biggest need at the moment, um, is, is finding someone, you know, a, a running back two almost, or a running back 1B, to, to play alongside Ronald Jones. But after that, you know, it's hard push to know what we really need, aside from a, a quarterback who's, you know, going to be able to take over from Brady. I, I kind of get your point. The weakness for me always felt like last year was at cornerback. And I don't know what you think, but I still think, you know, the guy that got absolutely torched by Tyreek Hill last oh, year in, in, in that first game, I don't think that he remarkably improved. I just think the Tampa Bay Buccaneers got way better at getting pressure up front. And that was the big reason that Mahomes wasn't able to find his receivers um, in that Super Bowl final. So for me, I feel like cornerback is more a position of need purely because Ronald Jones for you can be a, you know, he can be the guy um, on all three downs potentially. But equally, I think you can find a running back off the street, you know, or in the draft really late in in the day. And, you know, if you want to find a running back that can catch and, and not have to do the, the shed load of the work, then there's an awful lot of them knocking about in free agency and in the draft. So corner for me is more a challenge. And I think there's some good ones in this draft. I know you're, you're not picking high, but there's a, there look like some good ones. I mean, I, I don't know if you saw JC Horn's workout the other day, but he looked phenomenal. Um, and there's there's going to be you know um, a good crop of corners like um, Certain and what have you. So there's a few, um, but that would be my pick for you rather than running back. I, I never think running back's a position of need because yeah. you can find somebody anywhere. I think our, our secondary definitely improved in the playoffs. They were that was probably our weakness in the regular season. But then the grave diggers really came alive in the playoffs, and it was Carlton Davis who got torched by Tyreek Hill. Um, in week 12, but then we were missing, I think Jamel Dean missed that game. And then if you look at the Super Bowl, I think we had more, co- more coverage with the safeties helping out the, the corners there than we did in, in that week 12 game. So I think we, we just game planned a bit better, but you're right. I don't think, you know, if I look at our cornerbacks, I think as a unit, they work, they certainly work well together in the playoffs and they've got, they're a, a good kind of bright young crop, but there isn't that star, you know, the Seahawks had Sherman and, you know, the, the Cardinals obviously had P2 until recently. And, you know, I, d- I don't think there's that real star cornerback that, that we've got. See, I, the funny thing about off-season narratives is I think obviously 12 months ago, you were helped massively by the fact Jameis Winston left and Brady came in. I actually think your biggest off-season boost this season is Jameis Winston again. I mean, the teams around you in your division are either starting again or have got worse, you know. And and for me, you know, when you've got Brady, Gronkowski, you know, you've already mentioned Sue, you're talking about even before this Super Bowl run with the Bucks last season, you're talking about people who know how to play in those high-pressure playoff games. You know, they absolutely understand what it takes to be successful in playoff football. And I just think your route to the playoffs is easier this time than last time. I think you absolutely go into this season as favourites for the division, whereas what last season? Well, last season you didn't win the division, did you? You came in as sixth seed, was it, in the Saints? So I, I just think Jameis Winston lining up most likely in the centre for the Saints is is probably the best bit of off-season news the Bucks could have had. I'd agree. I, you know, it's, it's a tough one, isn't it? Because I still 
you know, almost want to see Winston do well because I think he's got such potential. You know, the, the offensive numbers that he put up were amazing. It was just the picks on the other side. And obviously he's had his laser eye surgery. So we'll see if that makes a, makes a difference to that. But I don't know. I kind of have a soft spot for him. But then at the same time, the whole eating the W stuff after they beat us in the regular season last year, I'm like, yeah, you can get stuff, mate. I, I would love to see him throw a couple of picks to our cornerbacks next season. So, so much for wishing him well. That sentence started with, I'd really love to see him be successful and ended up with him being trampled under the feet of loads of Bucks defenders. Nice. JB, any thoughts on the horribly overpowered Tampa Bay Buccaneers? Uh, yeah, I, I was kind of interested to see where Phil was going to go for this because when you put the list together of, of major contributors to the last season and look at where they are this season, it keeps being Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay. Um, yeah. I think the important thing is, is getting depth in behind those people. It is finding your next quarterback and it will be interesting to see where the bucks go with that. Cause obviously when um, Bruce took over in Arizona, one of the first major steps they made for quarterback was to go and get Carson Palmer, kind of a veteran experienced quarterback. Tampa Bay, he kind of struggled with Winston, but then brought in Tom Brady, a veteran experienced quarterback. It, we give guys like, I think, John Gruden a bit of stick for not wanting, you know, for wanting a very specific type of player. And he liked leaning towards those kind of older people who he doesn't necessarily need to coach up, but just needs to coach. So Bruce going into the draft and pulling out a young, a young face that he can mentor and grow with, it would be interesting to see. The concern that I'd have if I was a Bucks fan is how many teams that kind of run it back and, and bring all of the same people back have that same level of success the next season. We talked about the Chiefs. The Chiefs brought pretty much everybody back this year and ended up getting to the Super Bowl and losing. We haven't seen a team go back-to-back -back since the Patriots, um, kind of in the early, was it, 2000 and, was it 2003 and 2004, I think, was when they went it. Um, it's a difficult thing to do, and bringing everybody back isn't a guarantee of success. So it's making sure you've got those positions covered for, for when things do happen. I'm I'm with you that the Arians I think from from my time obviously following the Cardinals would always want a veteran presence when we drafted younger quarterbacks it didn't really work out which you know isn't necessarily a slight on Arians to be fair um, but the other thing is you know Brady and Arians it might end up being a race to who retires in fact with Arians being what second oldest head coach in the league is he something like that and obviously Brady being where where he is, you, you kind of imagine it wouldn't be impossible that they bow out together. Um, yeah, who who knows? I mean, I don't know. It, it, it's really hard to pick a hole in that Bucks roster. Um, the only thing I think, in, and you kind of said it, JB, is there's a point where old players become too old. You know, there's a point where they lose a step or they, they lose that bit of speed. And I mean, God, people have been talking about Brady for the last 10 years. Um, you know, when's the drop-off going to occur and it hasn't yet. But, I mean, they are bringing back a lot of veteran players. I mean, Sue, I mean, who imagined Sue at this point in his career would be getting, what, nine million one year, you know, coming off a Super Bowl winning season. I mean, he was 
he was a guy that for so long was kind of talked about as never really living up to his hype or potential in, in Detroit. Um, yeah, I think they go into next season favorites. Um, but you're right, JB, tough to do it back to back. You know, 31 other good teams out there will make it very hard for them. So if that's the Steelers and the Bucks, um, before I break with our little pattern of focusing on our own teams, I'll hand over to you, Aldrin, and tell me all I need to know about the Indianapolis Colts. Well, I think um, I've had a bit of a view of where our positions of need are, and it's tough because our, our free agent work so far has been very similar to the Bucks in that we've just brought guys back. Um, so we brought back Xavier Rhodes. We brought back T.Y. Hilton this week. We've even brought back Marlon Mack. Um, after his Achilles injury. So um, the majority of our of our free agent work has been just bringing back um, the guys that we had. My only area of concern is just surrounding Carson Wentz with enough offensive talent. Um, I think we've got a phenomenal line. Um, I think we've done a fairly decent job of bringing in Sam Tevy um, as a left tackle replacement for Costanzo. Um, whether or not he actually starts is another question. I, I think we're going to try and address the left tackle position in the draft, but he's a, you know, he's a good backup. He started left tackle for the Chargers last year and you saw what that did for Justin Herbert. So I'm, I'm not too concerned with bringing him in, but it's, it's the receivers and the tight ends that I feel are our, our biggest areas that we need to improve. I think TY coming back is good. Obviously he knows the system. He's, he's got a good rapport with Frank Reich and hopefully he'll build a rapport with Carson Wentz. But at the end of the day, his play last year wasn't stellar. Um, and we let him hit free agency quite comfortably. And I think there's a reason for that is because his play didn't necessarily um, jump off the page until later in the season. Um, you know, I know we call him the ghost, but he was fairly anonymous for that first, probably even up to the the bye week. Um, and then he kind of came to life in the last few games and, and caught a bunch of touchdown passes and was pretty integral. But yeah, his plays dipped off a little bit. I think um, we've got Michael Pittman and I'm really pleased about that. I mean, the guy is a yards after the catch monster, um, but I think he needs to take another step this year and and be the guy. But beyond that, you know, we've got Zach Pascal, we've got Paris Campbell. None of these guys are jumping off the page as kind of stellar guys that could take over a wide receiver one or two position, really. You know, neither of them can stay healthy. Neither of them can... Um, you know, have shown that they've put up big numbers and tight end is always dubious for me. We've had Jack Doyle for a number of years and he's fairly serviceable, but, you know, it doesn't massively move the chains. And I think you've seen how vital a really good tight end can be for, you know, um, third down, kind of the the play that you see from Kittle, Kelsey, even Gronk in, you know, at, the, at his age is you know, stellar. And I think that's a real area of weakness for us because there's just no real depth there and the guys are just blockers. So um, that's that's my only concern because I think the line's great, but giving Carson Wentz enough weapons is going to be crucial, I think. Yeah, I think seeing kind of how well Wentz worked with Ertz 
at the Eagles and you saw it with the Panthers when they drafted Cam they went and got Greg Olson from the Bears because the tight ends quarterback's best friend Brady had some of his best success successes as he got older with his link up with Rob Gronkowski Philip Rivers and Antonio Gates and yeah I think the Colts will be looking for that kind of big star player at that position that they haven't had for far too long like I'm struggling to think of the like maybe the last sort of star tight end um yeah I mean yeah it's it's not a great list to be fair I um, think you the point you make on Zach Ertz is a really good shout though because I do think that you know he's been mooted as being available mm. and you know the Eagles are probably fairly actively shopping him it would be a great boost to that tight end room if we could bring him in um and if he's available i think he could be the one so it, it sounds like you're not because i mean you you mentioned in tight ends and you're talking about real top end tight ends there's only three or four of those in the whole league you know so so to want one of those is is a pretty big ask for 28 odd franchises so is i guess what i'm trying to ask is is your point that you're not as well set up as you should be considering the cap space you've got or because I mean, when when we were talking a few weeks ago, the Colts were like the perfect balance of enough existing roster talent with this huge amount of cap space. Do you think Ballard is hoping that there'll be, you know, people jettisoned the closer we get to week one and there'll be some pretty significant cuts? Do you think it's just he's not been aggressive enough? That's exactly it. I mean, I think you're right. We've got shed loads of cap space. I know there's it's taken a little bit of a dip when we brought in Carson Wentz, but, um, you know, we're still kind of north of 40 million in cap space so we're not short on money i do feel like there was a missed opportunity to get somebody like hunter henry when the the patriots picked up johnny smith you know i would have taken that as a sign that we could have been going out and getting hunter henry like you say there's not a heck of a load of top tier tight ends and hunter henry really ticks that box so I, I feel like we really could have been a little bit more aggressive it's difficult to judge ballard because he's done such a good job in the draft and he's you know built a really good roster for us that I think is, is yeah, I feel like we haven't been as aggressive as we could have been, particularly when you look at the market for tight ends and wide receivers, you know, probably two weeks ago, say there was a real active market there where we could have been heavily involved and brought in some, some more elite players. And I think what we've done is we've settled for bringing back the players that we know, which, you know, isn't necessarily a bad thing. You know, I, I, love bringing back ty for another you know go at the um go at the super bowl but you know there were better receivers knocking around to my mind of a of a better age that we could have been going and pursuing so it just feels a bit tentative for me and i think we could have given wentz more so that we can be more successful because we've got a great defense and a few more you know one or two of those pieces on offense for a wide receiver or at tight end i think would have put us over the top really like you say ballard is one of those gms who throughout his tenure you felt like there was a plan you know you you feel like they've built you know with a, a really clear idea of where they want to get to maybe there's something we don't know maybe he has got other ideas i mean I, I i do think i just brought it up there as a quick throwaway point but i do think when we get close to you know teams having to get down to that final roster i think we could see some really surprising players released and and maybe he's you know, of the belief that he can pick up some real quality there. But um well I think getting closer to the draft as well is going to be the thing. I think there are potent there are going to be players who, like we talked about, the the Eagles haven't 
I don't think they've necessarily shopped Ertz, but have probably made it aware of the fact that, look, if an offer comes in, we'll probably listen to it. Um, I think it's the same kind of thing we we potentially expected with guys like Russell Wilson or Deshaun Watson moving on or whatever the Dolphins may or may not be doing with, with Tua and things like that. You get closer to the draft, even draft day, and all of a sudden, you know, you want all your picks back plus David Partney. So the Colts haven't, I don't think, stood pat. I think the Colts have worked and improved. And in like in the same way we talked about the Steelers and the Bucks, the Colts are probably getting better in a division where they the teams around them have got worse. So it's, you know, missing out on, oh, we haven't got these, you know, we haven't got a, got a star wide receiver or something like that. When teams around you have lost a load of their best players and not replaced them, probably balances out. I think it is the offensive weapons that, you know, that Wentz has got to throw to that is your biggest weakness, isn't it? I, you know, I think that's right. If you look at the running backs, they did well running, almost running back by committee last year. You had about two or three guys that, that were getting touches most games. So, you know, I think you're pretty set there. They're obviously all in on, on Wentz by trading for Wentz. So we'll see how that goes. But, you know, Wentz wasn't spectacular when he didn't have anyone to throw to for the Eagles. So I think you need some weapons for him to throw to. And I'd expect you to to kind of address that through the draft. I think there's a, a good receiver crop in the draft this year. You know, so there's, there's at least kind of two or three at the top as well that you think, you know, they could go in any order of one, two, three. So I, I'd expect you to, to draft, you know, something for, for Wentz to throw to. That's a fair point. You know, you, you pick up one good wide receiver in the draft. Tight ends in rookie seasons, I always think, are, are a bit of a leap. But, you know, a good draft, and we've already said our good ballad is in the draft. And I think things feel a lot more positive for the Colts. Um, strange, really, for a team with such a huge amount of cap room to probably go into the season as one of the favourites, really, to go really kind of deep into the into the playoffs, if not further. It's left for me to round out in um, a style that... Um, would have been clunky at best, but just wouldn't have worked. So um, up until about an hour before recording, I was about to talk about the Arizona Cardinals and the gaping hole that we had at cornerback and how we just simply couldn't be competitive without replacing Patrick Peterson. Obviously, the news that broke an hour ago of us signing Malcolm Butler is odd news. Um, I think we've got him at a, at a really good salary. I think him and Alford combined will be earning less than Peterson will be earning in the, the Vikings for our corner back one and two. Um, and I could go on and talk about other holes that the Cardinals certainly have a fair few, but actually the biggest problem with the Cardinals is I think whoever is drawing up all their trade deals is playing like Madden 18. I think, I think we're signing an awful lot of players who looked really, really good two or three years ago. Maybe not quite the players we want now. I think Hudson and Watt, I think I'd exclude from that. I think JJ Watt had a great year last year. But I, I worry about the AJ Greens and and to an extent the, the Malcolm Butlers that maybe we just get them a year too late. So I'm going to break with broadly the format here just to throw in something that I think is is wonderfully exciting. And if I'm not talking about my team, let's talk about America's team. So I've decided to pick the puzzle pieces of the Dallas Cowboys. Now, if you go back 12 months, you obviously have new head coach, new defensive coordinator um, in Dallas. And let's talk about the Mike Nolan era as defensive coordinator. 
So in his single season, they conceded more points and more touchdowns than any other Cowboys defense in history. Um, going to the stats, they averaged 29.6 points a game against compared to 20.1 points against the season before. And halfway through the season, you had Mike Nolan talking about the younger players didn't have enough eye discipline. They didn't make the right judgment calls. And you start to dig into the Cowboys and the Cowboys not only played a mixture of three, four and four, three, but just had people all over the place, young players who had no idea what they were doing. But now the most interesting puzzle piece for me is, is Dan Quinn as defensive coordinator at the Dallas Cowboys going to be the guy that could absolutely turn that franchise on its head? No. So there's kind of, two, well, Phil's answer of no could well be where we end up, right? But there's two really distinct Dan Quinn narratives that I find really interesting. So before he became a head coach in Atlanta, and let's not forget a guy who, you know, should have won a Super Bowl in Atlanta, bar, you know, eight minutes of utter madness. Um, he had overseen the NFL's number one defense two years in a row as the defensive coordinator of the Seattle Seahawks. Now, the counter argument, and your second storyline becomes the fact that after he was dismissed as head coach, the Atlanta Falcons, Raheem Morris as interim head coach improved that Falcons defense markedly by about seven points per game improvement down the stretch. So which of these Dan Quins is the real Dan Quinn? Was he propped up by a legion of boom and absolute rip roaring defensive talent in Seattle? Or was he the mastermind that no longer gets the credit for his great work because of what happened in Atlanta? Here are the interesting things for me about Dallas. Firstly, how does Dan Quinn play defense? Well, he plays 4-3. Really straightforward. Three linebackers, cornerbacks always in coverage. And what he does is he plays angry, he plays physical, he plays fast. But ultimately, his play is relatively simple and straightforward. So I think the younger players there will absolutely warm to Dan Quinn, the chess-beating coach that everybody loved, even in Atlanta, by the way. He, he seems like the type of person who was universally loved in that locker room. Now, if you think that the team who were conceding 29.6 points a game were averaging in the last four games with Andy Dalton, 32.3 on offense, I don't think you need a massive Dan Quinn effect to turn the Cowboys immediately into Super Bowl contenders. Now, could the Cowboys really go zero to hero? No. I, I don't know. A lot of it is going to depend on Dak, isn't it, and how he comes back from his ankle injury. Because having let Dalton go, I'm not even sure who their who their backup is now. Maybe they need they're going to draft one, or maybe they'll Ben, ben Denucci is still on the roster. <laughs> yeah, I don't think they're going to go with Ben Denucci as the backup somehow. But I, I don't know. You know, a lot of it's going to depend on Dak. A lot of it's going to depend on Zeke as well. You know, he was poor last year. What's he going to look like this year? Can he bounce back to the you know the Zeke that? got paid and got fed or whatever it is his celebration is um you know they've got Amari Cooper they've got CD Lamb two two you know real good looking receivers so they've got talent around them but I think you're right I think it's how the defense steps up and how Dan Quinn kind of gets them to play that's that's really going to make the difference the, the thing that probably benefits them the most is the division they're in you know they're all four losing losing record teams last year and it was a a crapshoot as to who was going to going to qualify for the playoffs, and then yeah, I think they're not in a great division. The, the Giants have, have looked like they've done a good job 
um, in terms of strengthening the you know the parts that they needed. You know they've made some good signings. Football team bringing in Fitz Magic is going to be interesting and, it, and probably exciting to watch. Is a bit of a gunslinger. They've, they've added you know a couple of good parts as well, but does that make them better than they were last year? I don't know. Um, the Eagles, I, I don't think, are going to have a particularly good season. So yeah, you know if, if the Cowboys come out the traps early and win a couple of games early on, then it, it obviously stands them in good stead to, to make the playoffs, you know, next season. My big question for the Dallas Cowboys isn't necessarily does Dan Quinn make that defense better, but the big question for the Dallas Cowboys for me is can they keep their important players healthy? They had so many injuries on the offensive line. And I know you talk about Van Der Esch being a great piece there, but the guy misses so many games and I mean, what was it? Neck injuries last year. It's not what you want for that position to be getting neck injuries early parts of your career because that, you know, it doesn't help with your longevity. So I, I agree. I think Dan Quinn probably makes them a little bit better at defense and they don't need to take a massive leap in order for that to be a significant turnaround. But if you go through the same sorts of injury troubles they've had in the last couple of years, particularly last year, you know, if you're losing linemen and you're losing your your linebackers, then those guys are the heartbeat of your team. And those those are the, the misses that ultimately lead you to lose out to a, a Washington football team that only needs to win seven games. So that's my big question for them, I guess. I mean, a bit like the Steelers conversation, almost bringing us full circle. I think anything less than it being a rip-roaring success in Dallas, and I think they'll probably be looking for a head coach in 12 months' time, let alone a defensive coordinator, I think. I think McCarthy probably starts the season on the hot seat. But yeah, if I was not going to talk about the Cardinals, I quite like the Cowboys. I think the Cowboys have got an awful lot of story. And and I think it was Phil who made the point initially, a bit like the Bucks are helped by the division around them, aren't they? I mean, Daniel Jones might make the step. Who knows? He might be this season's Josh Allen. But other than the Giants, I maybe Fitzmagic is, is amazing and, and solves all ills in Washington. But I just think... The Eagles definitely aren't part of that equation for me next season with what they're looking to do and, and getting younger pretty much across the roster. See, I can see the Cowboys being a lot of fun. I think the Cowboys are going to be an inter- another interesting team to watch, and we will obviously be able to watch them quite a lot because they will no doubt have a primetime game every other week and we'll have to sit through the Giants and the Cowboys being Sunday night football at least once. Um, cynicism aside... The Cowboys get that because they are a team, a very, very popular team across a lot of countries. It's, you know, they talk about being America's team, but I think they could be America's team, Scotland's team, India's team. The thing with how well Dan Quinn's going to do is how well is Jerry Jones GM going to be at putting the right pieces for for Dan Quinn to succeed because you look at the when you talk about the Legion of Boom the three names that I think most people always think of is Richard Sherman Earl Thomas and Cam Chancellor and none of those guys I think were drafted in the first at least three rounds of the draft most of them were sort of fourths and fifths and to go back to a point that we'd made previously you don't find gems like that in the draft every single year there has to be a part of it being the that Dan Quinn was given diamonds in the rough and managed to to buff buff them up and get them to the point where they functioned like the unit that they became to be. Can Jerry Jones give 
Dan Quinn those same kinds of pieces to add into what's already there. We we talked about like you know injury issues for Leighton Van Der Esch and things like that, but the Cowboys have got talent on that defense that can be used well. They need solid pieces. I don't want to say role players, but essentially that is kind of what they need. They need guys to borrow the Patriots phrase who will just do their job while the superstars ball out and sort of do what they need to do to to secure and win a game. Let's uh, do you know what let's hope we have a competitive Cowboys because it's been so long and like you say they got such a lot of media attention whether it's boom or bust for them don't they? I mean we're going to be sitting there watching them like you say on Sunday night football plenty of times in the coming season. So I I don't know I mean there's also I mean we haven't got into it but the Gus Bradley versus Dan Quinn argument and who really was the architect of those great Seattle defenses. I mean you could go on and on and on. But you know, when you're looking at that zero to hero um, equation, I think the Cowboys are by far the most exciting. I, I can't really see too many others. So um, do you know what, guys? What an absolutely wonderfully polished attempt at trying to fix the biggest problems for the greatest NFL franchises that was. I think you can all roundly congratulate yourselves um, on some wonderful input. Um, sadly, what we learned really in recording is that the Pittsburgh Steelers are 12 months from a reboot. The Arizona Cardinals have signed only old players, but at least they've signed somebody unlike the Colts and we'll all be here in 12 months, even more bitter that Phil is celebrating a Super Bowl victory <laughs> with the Bucks. It, it just has that horrible inevitability about it, doesn't it? Um, but thanks for your company. I think next week we'll probably start to split our topics to include a bit more of the draft. I think we're already starting to nudge there with some of our conversations. But remember, if any of you out there in the great listenership that we have through the World Wide Web have your own views, then drop us an email or hit us up on Twitter, as all the kids are saying. Thanks for your company, gents. We just made a podcast. Thanks a lot. (laughs) Just going to do it. Subscribe and be cool. Tell your friends.